Hello? Oh, what's going on? Oh, the library shouldn't be closed. It's only quarter to two. It's not Wednesday, is it? Half day closing. Oh, maybe it's a bank holiday or a holy day. It's not Eid, is it? What's the other one? Ramadan? Oh, welcome to our podcast. It's going to be such fun with talks, reviews and interviews and japes for everyone. Celia, what's going on? Oh, Fred, please stop your queries. I'm doing the first episode of this, our second series. A second series, eh? What larks? Did we make any money? Oh, Fred, that's not how podcasts work. The very notion's funny. Oh, listen listen to to our our podcast if you're you're not indisposed. indisposed. We We tried to use the the library, library, but it was was blooming closed. Hello, I'm Celia Jasson, and welcome to Wife on Earth, the book club podcast in which we look at weighty topics of the day, recorded here in the hamlet of Lower Apping. Today's episode is about 20 minutes long, and we are covering world history and investigating a mystery. We usually record in the library, but unfortunately it's been closed down for refurbishment. The council assures us it's only temporary. Hmm, the predominantly Lib Dem council. Fred! Sorry. So for now, we're recording here, in the front room of our own home. Because I'm wearing my slippers. And sitting in your favourite chair instead of next to the book drop bin. Yes, it's certainly cosy. I have at my feet local actor Russell Nigels on a puff. Greetings. Thank you for coming, Mr Nigels. Well, I, I must say, what a very lovely habitation you have here. Very, very pleasant. Very nicely decorated. It's for, Oh, and uh, you have a radiator. A working radiator. Well, yes, Mr Nigels. We, we have one in every room. Oh, in every... Well... All I have is a two-bar electric thing. I have to share that with the Australian student nurses in the bed sit next door. Mm. Yes, yes, I, I, I could really get to like living in a place like this. This is really quite... Tell me, how many bedrooms do you have? <laughs> what a funny question. Let me think. Well, three, of course, although now that Billy and Katie have left home, one's my sewing room and the other's the spare room. A spare room, eh? Uh, yes, but I'm having it converted into a games room. Oh. Are you Fred? You never told me. Mm, Oh, yes. Yes, with a pinball machine and uh, uh, a snooker table. But you don't play snooker. I'm going to learn. Yes, work starting tomorrow. Pity. Anyway, we'd better get on with this. We've got a Deliveroo coming from the Jade Garden at seven o'clock sharp, so chop-chop. Oh, sorry, was that racist? Fred, was that racist? Don't ask me. Oh, never mind. Hello and welcome. Today we're joined by famous local actor Mr Russell Nigels. Hello again. And my husband, Fred Jessen. Good day. Not so formal, Fred. Um, hello. That's better. And Mrs Coyle, who's kindly in the kitchen making teas. Bit of a racket. (laughs) Mrs. Coyle? What is it now? Oh, dear. Oh, hello. <laughs> you should give me a sign when you've started recording so I don't look like a doozy. <sighs> oh, dear. I think Mrs. Coyle believes if you talk to the food you're preparing, it'll taste better, which doesn't seem to be true, at least in her case. <clears throat> and providing musical accompaniment and general engineering, we have centre part in Martin. No end. Who is also furnishing us with live stings. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Martin? Yeah. Yes. 
Sting supply, this sounds so nice. Lively performance, competitive price. Competitive price? We're not paying this hairy article, are we? Fred! Sorry. And as I've said, I'm Celia Jesson, I'm just an ordinary woman, and I'm your host for this show. Bravo! Bravo. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know it sounds silly, you know, someone like me doing a podcast. I still can't really believe I'm doing it. It's a bit like that time Mary Berry got cornrows. Did that really happen, or did I dream it? Anyway, the podcast is doing really well. We're currently at number three in the iTunes podcast presented by people called Celia Chart, behind Toxcast, Tox Bridges' uh, number one podcast, presented by Celia Tugwell, and Reverend Celia Pith-Ketley's Shut Up A Your Faith, a humorous religious broadcast. Lots has happened since we last recorded. We've had a general election, we've left the European Union, and Mrs Clack from Belvedere Street finally had her cyst lanced. Politics is a bit difficult in our house. Well, Fred's conservative, aren't you, Fred? And I, well, well, I used to be SDP, but they've changed, haven't they? So now I'm sort of Lib Dem with green leanings and a dash of plaid cymru. Generally, I vote for whichever of the candidates knows not to end the sentence with a preposition. Has anything changed for anyone here since we left the EU? Well, I'm pleased to report that since we wrestled ourselves from under the jackboot of Brussels, my green beans have been thriving. Don't you think that could be a coincidence? No. Oh, Fred, what about you, Russell? Um, well, I'd, I'd like to blame my currently empty schedule on our departure from the bosom of the European Union, but I'm, I'm not sure that it would be entirely fair. Uh, Centre part in Martin? Lots more tax havens in the Bahamas. No more rules about curved bananas. Well, thanks for that, Martin. I won't ask Mrs Coyle because she'll just remind me that Scotland voted to remain again. By the way, if anyone listening is also from Lower Upping, you'll know me already from the Scrabble group. Hello! I'm the one who brings with her the Dulux edition, replete with sand timer, magnetic tiles, sharpened pencils and a score pad. Yes. I'm not showing off, but the board is also on a lazy Susan and was my main Christmas present in 2002. I am very proud of it. Justifiably so, I'd say, wouldn't you? Right. I take great care of it and Joan has her eye on it. There was milk nor sugar. Oh, me please. And if Mrs. Betterson leans on it again, I'm not bringing it back in. Uh-huh. But if she's listening, I'm joking, Mrs. Betterson. No, she's not. Milk for sugars. Mm. Oh, that's me. Super, thanks. Who was the Earl Grey? Oh, so that was me. The Grey Earl, at your service. Pip, pip. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry to be a pain, but you wouldn't have any flax milk, would you? Do we have any flax milk? There might be a carton in the back of the pantry from when Katie went lactose-free. Thanks, thanks, thanks. So we've been very busy since we last talked to you. I've been tending a display of bulbs at the wreck ground in the shape of an iPod. Fred's been beavering away on a scale model of the HMS Victory in the garage. And our local musician, Santa Martin Martin, here he is, has reduced his carbon footprint by giving up exotic fruits because of a suspected allergy. Symptoms. Excessive wind, a rush on the nethers, an occasional anaphylactic shock. So that's exciting. The topic of today's episode is world history, specifically 1901 to 2020. We didn't bother going on the internet for this because the broadband's a bit flaky whenever there's a storm. And of course the library's off limits at the moment. But we have a couple of local history books written and self-published by Ruth Batts a royal wedding commemorative brochure, and we remembered quite a few things between us, didn't we? Oh, yes, yes. 
memories. Yes, I came up with some absolutely smashing reminiscences from my life as a successful star of stage and screen in the 50s and 60s. But unfortunately, on closer inspection, they turned out to have happened not to me, but to Dirk Bogard. Mm. Classic. And I have written a short talk entitled A Childhood Near Epping Forest. It's not that short, Fred. Well, it's shorter than it was. Half my memories were vetoed for being too colourful. They were simply beggaring belief, Mrs Coyle. That thing about Jan Leeming and the pickled onion fork was obviously made up. Shites! And to help us set the historical mood, we've dressed up as important figures from the past. Fred is a 1990s Morris dancer. Try not to move, Fred. Sorry. I'm Leonora Carrington, surrealist artist. But not topless, I might add. Of course not. I'm Leonora Carrington in a no. twin set. <clears throat> Centre Martin Martin is Ronnie James Dio. Is that right? It's Ronnie James Dio. Ride the tiger. And Mrs Coyle is... Mrs Coyle? There is no flax milk. Oh, really, no flax What are you dressed as? I am dressed as a harried and put-upon professional cleaner who's been asked to be an unpaid caterer at very short notice. Thank you, Mrs C. Now, without further ado, let's kick off with our first review, Fred. Marvellous. Right, I'm going out for flax milk. Sorry, sorry to be paid, Mrs Coyle. So sorry. So sorry. Why is it called flax milk? You can't milk a flax. Those veggies should get their own words. Hands off our yummy words like burgers and milk. She call it green water. Oh, for goodness sake, Mrs Coyle. That sounds most unappetising. It's what it is. Vegan butter should be called laboratory-made lard replacement and sausages should be called cereal log. Vegetarian haggis. Oat bag. Very good. Let me get you a pound. Whatever next. Cheeseless fondue. What an image. Ooh. <sighs> Fred. Thank you. The book I will be reviewing, somewhat unexpectedly, is Glastonbury 50, the official story of the Glastonbury Festival by Michael and Emily Evis. Now, I received this book as the result of a mistake on the part of a Mr Jeff Bezos. I had actually ordered a tome entitled Arnhem, The Battle for the Bridges by Anthony Beaver, but there was evidently a mix-up at the warehouse and I received this instead. As it's too late to order a replacement, I've decided to go ahead with my review regardless. Now, you're probably thinking that I regard Glasto, as I believe the youth call it, as a monstrous display of hedonism, drunkenness, drug-taking and sexual depravity, a, a vile, tuneless caterwauling and a complete waste of time. And you'd be absolutely 100% correct, but it was not always so. What you may not know is that I, Fred Jessen, once went to the Glastonbury Festival myself. I went with my brother Frank and an acquaintance of ours called Archie Buckingham. It was 1970 and we were on summer vacation from school. It was Archie's plan. He said he'd heard of this festival at a place called Worthy Farm in nearby Somerset and we should hike there and have a really ripping time. Now, of course, it wasn't called the Glastonbury Festival back then. It was called the Pilton Pop Folk and Blues Festival. So we wrote off for tickets, packed our knapsacks, and off we went. It was marvellous weather, and we greatly enjoyed our three-day hike, taking in the Otford-Kent Circular Walk and the North Downs National Trail. 
Thus it was that we found our way to Mr. Evis's farm. There were no fences back then, and Mr. Evis himself let us through the gate with a nod and a smile, whereupon we found ourselves in a field with 950 other young people, some of whom were tieless, and at least one of whom was wearing a Ban the Bomb badge. We set up our tents and strolled around, watching some of the bands who were playing with Joe Brown, the, the Spinners, Swingle Singers, Al McCogan. Quite the freak-out, I can tell you. No, it was tremendous fun, and we had a smashing time. Of course, it was a bit tamer in those days, no drugs or anything like that. At one point, some teddy boys came over and tried to offer us some rough, scrumpy cider, but we told them we weren't interested. We made some new friends there. There's actually a, a group of fellow revellers turned out to have come from the Toxbury Young Conservatives Association, so we knew them already. And while queuing for the gents, I got talking to a young elfin-looking chap called Mark Bolan, who told me of his own dreams of rock and roll stardom. Interestingly enough, he later changed his name and became the England cricketer Richard Hutton. He was unrelated to the other Mark Bolan, whose band Tyrannosaurus Rex were actually playing at the festival. So, perhaps because I have experience of this milieu, I rather enjoyed this book, which is full of interesting photographs and fascinating facts. For example, did you know that the festival uses as much electrical power as the city of Bath? I'm afraid, though, as we get closer to the present day, I get less interested, as I have absolutely no idea who these popular music combos are. Ned's Atomic Dustbin? That means nothing to me. If they came round to plumb in a washing machine, I wouldn't recognise them. Ditto Shed 7, Jake Bug, or Usher, unless that's a misprint. So, there you have it. Three stars out of five. Thank you, Fred. We'll have a book discussion in a moment, but next, an historical fact. In 1901, Hornby began making Meccano, and have been making it ever since. It's taken Fred nearly as long to finish the movable crane, which has been taking up the spare room dressing table since 1982, and nearly had Mother's eye out when she was looking for something heavy to bang on the wall with last New Year's Eve. And talking of Mother banging on the wall... In 1901, Guglielmo Marconi transmitted a radio message in Morse code 2,100 miles from Poldhu Cove in Cornwall to St John's in Newfoundland in Canada. And this was it. What was the message? Can we guess? Gosh, it's probably something Italian and romantic, I should think. Something about how the object of his desire arouses a light of burning phosphor in his breast that burns brighter than a thousand suns. Either that or a recipe for minestrone. Well, perhaps it's an advert. The first ever advert. Warburton's could have slipped him 50 notes to say that their bread is as tasty, rich and filling as it ever was. Nom, 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 nom. Mm, which it is, incidentally. I feel like some toast now. It's got a groovy beat, whatever it's saying. Pardon, Mrs. C? I've got your flax milk. Two packs. 
Oh, thank you, Mrs. C. Gosh, I thought you said something quite different. Shh, quiet. I did Morse code in the boys' brigade. Let's see if I can remember it and translate. <sighs> For a good time, call Bologna seven three four five five. I am six inches when fully. I say, dirty old Marconi. Those Italians are all the same. And that section was brought to you by Cock and Sons Ironmongers Toxpeder and Warburton's Bread. Drill bits and all fobs, toilet chains for big jobs, keys cut, chicken wire and pins, Cock and Sons. Cock and Sons, Toxborough, for all your heavy metal needs. And Warburton's Bread. Still to come, Mrs. Core's remedy for computer elbow, the skittish way of the British Jay, Russell Nigel's birdsong impersonation, and Fred's talk on the Screwfix catalogue entitled Promotions and Related Bloopers. But first it's time for Russell Nigel's book review. Russell. Thank you. Now, as you all know, I am a thespian of many years' standing. I first appeared as young Lancelot Gobbo in The Merchant of Venice at the Crew Lyceum back in... Well, let's just say that it was a very long time ago indeed. And in that time, I've worked with them all. Gary Wilmot, David Yip, Dudley Sutton, the list is endless... And I, well, I mean, it's it is finite. It is it is finite. But 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 it is so long as to be considered endless. Anyway, um, one of my old theatrical muckers has just released an autobiography, Anthony Daniels, and he's called it "I Am C-3PO: Colon The Inside Story." It's a pun, you see, because he was inside that golden robot suit shooting all those Star Wars films. Um, at least uh, that, that's what I assume. I mean, I suppose it, it, it could be a coincidence. I, I imagine not. It's very, very Tony's, very Tony's. Tony always, always, always fancied himself as a bit of a wordsmith. Always, um, always considered himself, um, uh, the, the best at the Guardian crossword. But it, to, to be fair, he was substandard at best. Um, anyway, Tony and I, we, we, we go way back. Um, we first met while we, while we were both studying at, at the Rose Bruford uh, College, heady days. And uh, back in those days, there, there were a few boys studying at the place. So Tony and I, we were, we were often in competition for roles. I remember he uh, pipped me to the post for, for George Gibbs in um, our town. And, and I did the same to him regarding Alan, Alan Strang in Equus. Um, and there, 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 was, there was much good-natured sparring and pranking between us, um, as is very common in the business that we call show. And uh, <laughs> once I, I, I put... Um, I'm laughing just remembering this, actually. I put cling film over his toilet... And he, in return, vaselined the top step of my staircase. <laughs> I break three ribs. 
I was, we, we was, I really, it, it, it hurt quite badly, actually. I was, I was, I was off on the understudy. Well, anyway, we, we, we were even in competition for the role of C-3PO. But from somewhere, I got the idea that they were after a Mexican characterization. Uh, you know, I'll come back at once. Uh, don't you call me a mindless philosopher, you over, overweight club of grease. And um, that sort of thing. Anyway, anyway, George Lucas, he didn't seem to like that. It was a shame. And, and I feel that if it wasn't for that, then I could be raking in the spawns for bloody computer games and cartoons and personal appearances at conventions. <sighs> Still, what's done is done. No sense in raking over the past. And really, one shouldn't feel envious of Tony because the poor bastard, he can't put on an ounce. It's true, he eats like a bird. I mean... He can hardly go on and, and put the robot suit on, having gained a couple of stone, can he? I mean, how how are they going to explain that? C-3-O-P-O, he's got a great big bloody, big fatty robot, isn't he? How the C-3PO's got a great big gut sticking out. What, I mean, what do you say? Oh, is it too many microchips? Is <laughs> that too many microchips? To Russell, you really... I must write that down. Russell. Russell, that's excellent, really. Why aren't you being employed? But it would be... Too many microchips. Um, asterisk, C3PO joke. That's excellent, Tony. That's really... That's... Thank, well, right. So, anyway, um, yes, well, anyway, you know, let, let's face it, it's a bit pathetic, isn't it, calling your autobiography, I am C3PO. You know, he might as well have called it, oh, look, look over here, you might not know my name, but I was that gold robot in the space films. Yes, the camp one, not the little one, yes, yes, the camp one. So, to sum up, uh, this was a very interesting book, full of insights and anecdotes. No stars. Thank you, Russell. Pleasure. Sorry, now I've done my bit. Would you mind if I stretch out on the window seat? It's hard work resting, and for some reason, it's more tiring than when one is actually crafting. Certainly, as long as you don't rustle. Don't what, sorry? Rustle, rustle. The curtains are quite loud, and Mr. Centerpart and Martin's equipment is particularly sensitive. That's for sure. The flutter of a moth's wing can make a racket like the Jesus and Mary chain tuning up in your bathroom. You know, no, I, I, I shall be stock still. As still as I was when playing the corpse in Murder at the Vicarage at the Leicester Haymarket in 1992. Excuse me. Am I on? Is it my turn now? I'm not sure about your computer elbow remedy idea after all, Mrs Coyle. It's not historical at all. You promised. I'll make it historical. Oh, all right. But only half a paragraph. I'll go and prepare. I've been reading The Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker. Now, this is a dark tale, a reimagining of The Iliad by Homer. I'm not sure if that's his first or second name. From the point of view of the female lead. Ripped from her home by war, and in particular by the half-god Achilles, again Achilles, first or second name, not clear either way, but it's certainly not a Christian name either way, which is just as well, because I understand that that phrase has been outlawed, hasn't it, along with Whitson... Conkers and candy cigarettes. <clears throat> uh, ripped from her home by war with Achilles at the helm. Our heroine is forced to act as wife to Achilles without actually being married. 
I don't mean she has to live in sin or act as though she's married in the way we do in this country, for example, being able to crochet and occasionally saying, yes, dear, in the middle of an anecdote, more that she has to lie back and think of, well, not England, but whichever it country it is that she's from. She makes friends with Achilles' best friend, uh, Patroclus, who is, in Mrs Coyle's words... Equally ripped, thank you, Mrs. Coyle. Indeed, the description of the half god Achilles and his best friend Patroclus. I don't know if I'm saying this correctly. Patroclus? Patroclus. 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 Tanned, long hair, flapping in the breeze, and a steely gaze, a bit like a deep sea diving instructor with his strong limbs moving about with purpose and being excellent with his hands, put me in mind of Fred's brother Frank, who was an architect in the south of France and who we haven't seen since 2008. Petroclus. Oh, well. Back to the silence of the girls. I don't mind saying that the hopeless romantic in me hoped that this female lead might come around to Achilles' ways and fall for him, but alas, it wasn't to be. Apart from that and the murder, slavery, torture, plundering and humiliation, The Silence of the Girls was a lot like a Mills and Boons novel, or even its racier counterpart. What's it called, Mrs C? Do you remember? Fifty Shades. No, 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 it's Rose on a Spine. Black Silhouette. Yes, that's the one. Not for the faint-hearted. But it saved me the bother of reading the Iliad. Read Silence of the Girls instead, and you sort of get the gist. Although there's no mention of Achilles' heel at all. I was expecting it to loom large at the eleventh hour and save the day, but no, not a squeak. We didn't even get a description of it. And he didn't even bark it on anything. Is it bark or jar with a heel? Does anyone know? Prang? To prang your heel? Prang? Stub? Stub, that's quite good. Tread. Prang? Tread on a heel. To prang your heel? I think you can catch your heel on things, can't you? Prang? I almost completely fucked my heel. I tripped on a curb when busky and wet wang. Don't worry, everyone will beep that out. Anyway, I was delighted to read about Pat Barker herself at the end, uh, on the frontispiece, whatever the back bit's called, that Mrs Barker was in her 40s when she first wrote a book, you know, and it was nearly four decades later, she's still at it. Though, you know, this is a bit like Mrs Coyle and her patchwork quilt, which was meant to commemorate the Queen's Silver Jubilee and is still unfinished. The thought that counts. You're listening to Wife on Earth podcast, and today we're raking over old history. And next up is Mrs Coyle with, well, who knows what. I'm going to be reading from an historical local document. Oh, how lovely. Well, anything about the Horseshoe Bridge or the Commemorative Pond be very welcome indeed. Is it either of those things in it? Maybe. It's my diary from 1997. Thank you, Centre Parton Martin. 1997, July the 18th. Tonight, my boyfriend and I, readers, later I married him, watch Carl Sagan's Cosmos on video in order to learn more about the world and ended up arguing about how it was filmed. All we learnt by the end of it was that Carl Sagan read from a script that was out of shot and moving so that he could walk and talk. And we think the script may therefore have been taped to Karen Carpenter's back as she crawled along on all fours. I'm sorry to interrupt, but what has Karen Carpenter got to do with the Cosmos? Well, she's in it. Carl Sagan was married to Karen Carpenter, wasn't he? And he made a recording of her voice and sent it into space. Was it really that bad? Oh, the interplanetary one. (laughs) And to end my section, I did a book review which I thought would fit in well with this library-based podcast. It just says, finished reading two books, the first one being Jude the Obscure by T. Hardy. 
Thomas. That Sue, what a pain in the neck. What a flirt. Much prefer Tess. Book two, The Jungle Book. Author unknown, not as good as the film, C-. Signed, Jennifer Juniper. That's my maiden name. Fascinating. Like hearing from another dimension. Do you mean my class or my regional accent? Both are equally baffling. You stuck-up shite. You're listening to Wife on Earth podcast, history episode. That section was brought to you by the... Sorry, before I continue, Fred, do you think you can turn the heating down? It's getting very hot with all these people in here. We're not used to it at all, are we? Thank you, Fred. You're listening to the Wife on Earth podcast, here broadcast from our own home. Usually we're in the library. Hopefully we'll be back now anytime soon. Well, it's all very well looking at all these books written by different authors. Were we? Thank you. But have you ever considered having a go at writing yourselves? Because if you think you can't write, you're wrong. Anyone can. We're going to end now with a short dramatic play written by me, Celia Jessen, for three characters played by me, Fred, and esteemed local famous actor, Russell Nigels. Can someone wake Russell up, please? He's dribbling on my counterpane. Russell? Excuse me. Russell really is fast asleep, isn't he? Oh, dear. Just look at him. He's completely exhausted. Let's leave him. We can do our play next time. Poor Russell. We'll be back next time with a haunted chip shop, an interview with an actual writer, and a hang-gliding vicar whose sermons really do take flight. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye. 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 Oh, sorry. Well, that'll be our food. It's just at the right time. Yeah, I've got one meat feast, one vegetarian deluxe, and an extra large garlic bread. I don't understand. We ordered Chinese. Egg foo young and Peking duck for five. That's not what I've got written here. Is this number 79? I'll handle this. Now, listen here, chummy. We definitely ordered jasmine rice... Jasmine rice? Jasmine rice. We don't do jasmine rice pizza. That'd be disgusting. Is that one of those newfangled things? Shrimp. Shrimp? We certainly are not interested in pizza pie. Oh, Fred. Don't come in here with your meat feast, large garlic bread. We're absolutely not interested. Have you been watching that Desmond Emmental? <sighs> For goodness sake, can't you do anything right? I mean, this would work as a bedroom too. You've been listening to Joanna Neary, Al Kerr, Ben Crompton, Julia Cloughley Snedden and Pad McLean with music by Head Love and Pad McLean written by Joanna Neary and Joseph Nixon. This was a Wife on Earth production for Cosmic Shambles Network.